0: If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the bet Rivers network, whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to game bet match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa podcast on the bet Rivers network. Hello again, everybody. And welcome to the Mike Francesa podcast. As we take a look on a couple of things here. Number one, Knicks get ready for a game five tonight at the Garden. This team, as I stated the other day in their development, needs one more big night. They need to give their fans one more reason to be optimistic going into next year. There's a lot of reason for optimism. There's a lot of things that can be built on that happened this season. Even if they don't go down and force a game seven, having one more big night this spring at the Garden, one more victorious evening, full house, everybody there, everybody excited, everybody yelling. You know what? It's a very positive thing for this franchise and it will be good for where they're headed. Uh, So I do think even in defeat, they can gain something here rather than fall on their sword in game five at home. And Miami will push and push and push until they realize, hey, it's time to get ready for game six. That's what you want to accomplish in the game five. You want there to come a point where a Spolster says, okay, all right, I'm going to rest my key, guys, and we'll see you Friday. We'll see you in game six. That's that's what you're looking for because then then the last part of the game becomes easy. So that's what you try to accomplish here, and you would try to accomplish that in the in the uh, third quarter of the game. Uh, But you want to get off to a good start tonight, and that means shooting the ball, and it also means getting on the backboards because that's what the Knicks do, and that's what the Knicks have to do if they're going to be successful. The Yankees' best advantage here was they got the A's in between the two Rays series. The A's are bad. They may be historically bad, but they're an easy mark because they have no pitching, they have no middle relief, absolutely none. And they may score some runs now and again, as they did last night, but it'll be in a game where they give up twice as many as they did last night. So uh they threatened they had a chance to make some plays, both offensively and defensively. They didn't make them. That's why they are who they are, because they don't make plays and they can't pitch. So right now the Yanks should be able to finish them off and get ready uh for the four game set with the Rays. And sometimes Who's there on the schedule matters. It really does, and this was a perfect example because it gave the Yankees a chance to get a couple of wins tucked away before they finish up with the Rays, uh, with this next seven-game series or next four-game series. As for the Mets, the Mets' problems right now are running pretty deep. I think it's obvious they have to retool on the run here. Don't panic. No reason to panic. There are a lot of ways to get into the postseason. No reason at all to panic. But first thing, play Brett Beatty every day. Play Alvarez most of the time. Let Alvarez learn how to catch. He's obviously going to hit some home runs. He had two last night. He's got a lot of power. Okay? Play those two. Make them everyday staples. And then start to get rid of the deadwood in the lineup on the bench, and in the pitching staff. And it's more than one or two people on the Mets. The Mets have to do some serious reinventing of their roster and really some mixing and matching of their roster to make this work because they have real holes in the pitching staff, both starting and relieving. And they have real holes in the lineup. And they have some dead wood they're carrying right now. And they have to not be patient with them. I think they need to move on from certain guys. And start to do this as early as the next month. June 15th is early to start to do that. But that's when I would begin this if I'm the Mets. You're not going to do it in May because teams don't make moves in May. Even the teams that are bad are not ready to trade you people in May. By June 15th, they're debating it, and by July, they're pulling the trigger. So before we are halfway done, the Mets have to have started to refigure this roster. You're going to see, I think, different faces on this team. There's no way around that. That's the year they have dealt themselves, but remember they have outrageously unlimited resources to do that so if it costs them a little cash it costs them a little money to the bottom line to do it, they have to do it and before they get significantly better, they have got to get some consistency out of Verlander and Scherzer because if they don't get that it's going to be awful hard to find the pitching staff That has to be, you know, there's certain things that have to be a given. You've got enough pieces in the lineup that you can add to it and move on. Because you can count on, you can count on McNeil. You got your big one-two pop in the middle of the lineup. But you need to lengthen this lineup and you need to get rid of some really seriously deadwood emails when we return. You're listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the bet rivers network, Mike Francesa podcast. Remember you can send me, uh, your emails at Mike Francesa podcast at gmail.com. We're on the bet rivers network as always. And for all your wagering needs is bet rivers in New York and New Jersey play sugar house in Connecticut. So whatever you need, just go to their uh, app uh, and you'll find everything you need for all your needs there. And the program, of course, always on the Bet rivers network and wherever you can find your podcast. All right. Ray and brings up a question that I was going to do a whole podcast on, um, the other day and decided against it. Um, just because, uh, I just uh, was waiting to see what was going to happen. Does Bob Huggins survive this transgression? If you don't know what Bob Huggins did, if you don't know who Bob Huggins is, he's the head coach at West Virginia. He's been a major force as a college basketball coach, both at Cincinnati and West Virginia. He has always been a gruff guy. Not a bad guy. I know Bob Huggins. He's not a bad guy. Uh, but he's old fashioned he's a gruff guy speaks his mind always looks unhappy you know one of those guys big guy huggins went on the air and somehow the conversation became uh something about Xavier and the you know the he was on with a Cincinnati broadcaster Bill Cunningham has been there forever and they're talking about Xavier, and, you know, Cincinnati was always the big rival with Xavier. When I first heard it, I said, wow. I listened to it again. He didn't back away from it. I don't think he even registered what he had done. Hours later, he issued a Apology, which I have no idea was heartfelt or not. Don't even know if he wrote it. But in that, he took his own beating. He called himself. He called it abhorrent, and uh, said uh, he would not try to, you know, back off from the blame. Whatever penalty he had coming, he would take. Uh, so he basically said, "Dish it out." West Virginia said they would have a statement. They have yet to have one from what I've seen. Um, I have to tell you, when I first it's – ha- it's a discussion we've had behind the scenes with coaches and with people in, in the business the last couple of days I've had since he said it. Does he survive it? Um, I'd say my – from the people I've talked to, they're running probably 70% against him surviving. I thought when he said it, he would get fired it'll be very hard on West Virginia to back off from this. I'm surprised it's taken so long for them to make this a, a statement, to be honest with you. Um, in this climate, it's a hard one. It doesn't, it, you know, guys have been fired for less. It's a rough statement. Let's be honest. Um, it's one that is indefensible in every way. And shows just an ignorance and a bigotry on so many different levels that it's not even worthy even to discuss it. So uh, does he survive is the question. My, I, I got to give you my initial gut reaction was he would not. I don't know if he will. We'll see. Um, do you think the Yankees should memorialize Dave Winfield and or Alex Rodriguez with plaques and Monument Park and Yankee Stadium? don't really care. The Yankees have honored so many people that I felt... See, I grew up when all they had out there was the greats, the immortals. Okay? Um, Little by little, they were going to add, there are guys who have been worthy of being recognized for their accomplishments in Yankee uniforms. I would state that You know, after Madeline Ford, who Who were no-brainers, Yogi Berra was a no-brainer. Of the recent, you know, Thurman Munson, I have no problem with, especially with the tragic ending of his career um, and his life. Uh, I think they have then taken it to a level well below where it deserved to be. And then I think there were some exceptions. I think Mariano, I think Jeter, I think Bernie Williams all belong out in any recognition because they wore one uniform, before, because they had great careers and long careers. To me, this is about longevity. And you see, it's not about coming here for a couple of years and being a Yankee. See, I always was against Reggie Jackson. Not that Reggie Jackson was, didn't do his job here, but he was here five years. And you compare that to guys who played their whole career in Yankee uniforms. So they have made it, a, see, the Yankees have made the whole process one where it's about marketing the team and filling the stadium. They use those celebrations and the honoring of these guys to fill the stadiums and to market the team. It sells jerseys. It sells memorabilia. It also fills the stadium. That's what they care about. They have cheapened the whole process. There were way too many people out there. Let's be honest. It's gotten ridiculous. Immortals, which means at the least you are a Hall of Famer. Then you think about it. the Yankees had immortals. Ruth, Gehrig, DiMaggio, Mantle are all among the 25 best players of all time. That's immortal. Mickey Mantle was immortal. Whitey Ford deserves what he gets. Yogi Berra deserves what he got. Joe, I mean, Eric Cheetah deserves it. Mariano deserves it. Like I said, Bernie Williams, I have no problem with. He deserves it. He played a very long time and played at a very high level for the Yankees and won a lot and was great in the clutch. So I have no problem with that. But... Elsewhere, uh, you know, but they have turned it into a supermarket. So to me, it's been cheapened long ago, so I don't care what they do with it, to be honest with you. Matt and New Rochelle. If Francona was our manager instead of Boone in the past few years, do you think that would have made a difference in getting us to the World Series? Listen, Francona is the best manager in baseball. Mighty he Avicii he went out, maybe, but that's asking a lot. Um, the manager doesn't usually make that much difference. He can during a regular season. I think Francona shows you that he's worth at least ten wins there in the regular season. The way he runs his team, he does a brilliant job. And the year he was gone, they were completely in- ineffective. And he comes back, and they played great. So the bottom line is, he does an incredible job. He is a all-time great manager. So that's not fair to Boone. But the Yankees have been lacking, and they've been up against a better team in in the uh, Astros. So uh, I can't automatically say that. It wouldn't be fair to automatically say that. Um, Patrick emails, the Knicks just overmatched and overwhelmed by the heat, especially on the boards in the fourth quarter in game four. Even if they steal five, I cannot see them winning again in Miami. One step at a time. This series has been much harder. I do think one of the things uh that has hurt them in the series that has gone kind of untalked about is uh I don't think Robinson's is hundred percent by any stretch. And I think I really think he's he's uh his presence playing at the level he played at in the in the Cleveland series. I think Could have made a very big difference, but I don't think he's the same player right now. And I think it is hurting them. The Knicks are not winning the way. See, the Knicks are a terrible shooting team. We know that. And they are going to be highly erratic from three. When they shoot well from three, they're going to be in the game because they shoot a lot of threes. When they don't, they're going to have a lot of trouble. They have to do the other things. They have to play defense. They have to be okay in the turnover department. They have to get to the foul line. They have to offensive rebound. They have not won those categories in this series, and that's why they're in the hole they're in. Miami has better shooters. We know that. But I think that that's been an issue, Uh, and I think they better get a big game, and I think they will, out of Hart tonight. I push Hart major minutes. Now, Hart, because of foul trouble, and for whatever reason, Tibbet, I went to the line if he did the other night, which I didn't agree with. Um, I thought that uh, Hart just never got started and wound up with a very ineffective game for him. Uh, Four points, two rebounds, only played 21 minutes and fouled out. That is not what you need a big game from Hart. The Knicks are going to win. You're going to have Hart have a very, very good stat line. Like he's going to have, you know, 14 points and 10 rebounds, something like that. That you need from him in this series, and you need his defense, and you need his hustle, and you need his aggressiveness, and you need all that for them to win. But take this one game at a time. It's important for this team in their development for them to get another New York night, for them to get the guard one more big lift off, and then they go down and do, let, let the chips fall where they will and make game six. And if they lose in six games, fine. But have the night tonight. Um... Christopher says, I felt a New York athlete that was underappreciated was Mike Bossy. I know it's a a Long Island team and not New York City, but that was one of the best players ever on one of the greatest teams ever. No question. Um, in see, Bossy was kind of a different personality, even inside his own team. And so I think... He was such a quiet guy that even inside his own team, there was not as much attention paid to him as there probably should have been. But I think everybody knows how good he was. He is clearly a guy who has been forgotten for how good he was absolutely in that team, which won 19 straight playoff games and four championships, 19 straight playoff series and four championships. It's one of the great teams of all time. So I agree with that. Uh, so if you like him as an underappreciated guy, I think it's a good one. I do. I think that one is, is a good one. I don't know if it's the best. I'd have to think about it. It takes in a lot of ground. You know, a lot of ground. Doug emails, I don't think that Buck is the issue. What the hell is going on with the Mets? The Mets have had, from the Diaz injury on, everything has gone wrong for the Mets so far this season. Buck is not the problem. Buck will be fine. Buck will see the way through This then they have a lot of sorting out to do. And they are in the midst of doing that. They got to clean out a lot of dead wood, which they should have done some of it over the winter. I thought with the money they spent, they did not improve the team. They rolled the dice on two very ancient, but great pitches, but they're, they're old. And with old comes problems. And they've gotten the problem so far. Hey, Put youth at third base, put youth behind the plate. Let them go. Let them do what they can do and slowly start to get rid of the dead wood and bring in new faces. And some of it's going to cost you a little money and they need to make a couple of trades. They need another bat in the lineup, no question. Uh, They have an outfield slot that is crying, crying. Marte will be okay. They have an outfield spot that is crying for a good everyday bat. Fill that hole. Fill left field with a good bat. And if you want to do it differently, then you can do it differently. You have that flexibility. You can make it a DH move. You can make it a, you can even move McNeil around. You know what you can do with him. The bottom line is, Bring another big bat in. They need another quality bat. Uh, I know hockey is far down on the depth shot. Rick says this. I know hockey is far down on the depth shot. Not this time of year. But I was shocked that the Rangers moved on from their head coach. Um, There were great expectations. It was clear. I was not the least bit surprised, and I said it on the air here after the year that I thought there would probably be a change. I I I thought the way he spoke after the series showed you that he had a disconnect with a lot of guys in his room. And clearly the team was not on the same page. He went after his team after one game, and they didn't respond. Uh, even after the series was over, he talked about some guys not giving all their effort. I mean, that's a tough statement after the series is over. There were high expectations for this team. It didn't happen, especially after the first two games. They got outcoached and they got outplayed. I'll tell you what else was an indication to me. I watched what Messier said. I watched what Lundqvist said. They both, in their subtle ways, Messier not so subtle, went after the coach. That told me the coach was on very thin ice. So I'm not surprised in the least. Is there going to be a lot of pressure on the new head coach? Absolutely. They have great expectations for this team. They made moves this year that everybody thought, and the way the first two games of the series started, you would have thought they were going to be flying very high. Then when the Bruins go out, listen, you figured... If the Panthers can beat the Bruins, they can beat anybody. Uh, and I think we're learning that the Panthers are better than we thought, right? I mean, I, you know, or people who were hockey people thought, okay, I don't know much about the Panthers, but I can tell you this. They went up and beat the Bruins. And they got a goal with 59 seconds left to send the game into overtime and then won the last game in overtime in Boston, which was unbelievable. I'm I still shocked they won that game, to be honest with you. Uh, the problem I have with the Mets, Chris says, is I don't have, I, they don't even have an idea what the solution is. Even with all the money, where do they start? Hey, it's not as broken as you think. It is if Verlander and Scherzer can't pitch. If that happens, they're dead. They're dead. This year is going to be a disaster. They have to have those two get back and give them some big outings. They need a consistent run from those two. They need to get somewhere around 175 innings from the two of them. I'm not even going to say 200, but at least 175 good innings out of these guys. If they can't, they're in big trouble. The loss of Diaz was crushing. But they made mistakes in how they built the roster. They really did, and I didn't like it when they built it. And I thought they needed to go after another big bat, and they didn't. And it has hurt them dramatically. But I think they have, if they get an infusion, which I think they can from Beatty and from Alvarez, add another big bat, which you can install in the outfield or at DH. And then you're going to have to, this is where it's going to get a little expensive. They're going to have to go out and get a couple of pitches. They're going to have to go out and get a starting pitcher. They're going to have to go out and bolster the bullpen. And to do that, they're going to have to either eat some big contract or they're going to have to give up a lot of prospects. So it's going to be costly to do that in season, but they're not going to give this year up. I don't think there's any way. So they're going to have to do that. They have to improve every facet of this team on the run. But they have the resources to do it. And they need to start now so that they're ready to pull the trigger when the other teams are ready to pull the trigger, which they will be after June fifteenth. Listen, you got some teams that are ready. I mean, you're not going to find much on the A's. They got a couple of young guys and whatever they have, they're going to try and you know, you don't want anything off their pitching staff. That's for Donshaw. Sure. Um, but when you look at it and you can see already some teams that are having, you know, really lousy years, that are, you know, Kansas City's already 10-27, and 27. all right? The White Sox are 13-24, and 24 and they have players on that team. All right, forget Oakland. Um, St. Louis might not recover. If they don't, you know, there's stuff that you can harvest there. You can talk to Colorado. You can talk to San Francisco. Uh, so there are places to go to get some players, and you're going to have to think about that because otherwise it's going to be a long season. They they don't have – it's not that everybody has to get healthy. It's that Verlander and Scherzer have to get right. That has to happen. But other than that, they have to go out and make some changes. But the first thing is put the kids in at third base and f- – catcher and let them play. They, they both show some punch. Let them play. And then start to get rid of the deadwood underneath that. And you know where the deadwood is here. I don't have to name names. You know where it is. Go get it and get rid of it. The problem is they have holes everywhere. So it's not going to be easy